So thank you for joining us today. My name is Alan. I am the student pastor here at REACH. I am uh, very excited about today's topic, not just because I'm the one preaching it, uh, but because while doing research on this topic, I was very enlightened about what I learned And so, I hope this message does the same thing for you. And what we are going to talk about today is the armor of God. And let me start off by giving you a few Bible verses I think are important for the Christian walk. The first one is 1 Peter 2.9. And this is a very significant verse in the life of the Christian. Because it states that we have been chosen to be a part of God's holy nation, a royal priesthood to declare the praises of Him, who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Psalm 23 is another wonderful passage, glorifying the worth of our shepherd and the work of our shepherd, who tirelessly provides for his sheep as a faithful keeper of of his flock. Another one comes from Ezra 7.10, where it delivers a wonderful challenge, if not a timeless job description of a New Testament pastor or teacher. We are told that in the great revival in Jerusalem, the leader Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. And there are so many more great texts. In fact, all scripture is profitable, right? It is all inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the believer, all of us who believe, may be equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. And so today, what I want to talk to you about, uh, what I want to talk to you about is the construction of a believer's life by taking us to a text in which the Apostle Paul challenges the believers in the city of Ephesus. He challenged them to construct their lives and and prepare their hearts that their lives would stand the tests of time, temptation, and trouble. So let's look at the book of Ephesians, and look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, where it it reads, and it should be on on the board, on the screen. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. In other words, build your house with a hurricane in mind. Build your life with trials and tests, and temptations in mind. Clothe yourself in the armor of a warrior which has been designed by God for spiritual battle. Get ready for it. I saw this story a pastor shared with his congregation about the expedition of John Franklin. In 1845, Franklin left England to discover a northwest passageway, a seaway for ships through the Canadian Arctic region that connected the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. He took with him on this expedition 138 especially chosen men from the Royal Navy. From the Royal Navy and no one really knew what to expect. These men did not even seem to be aware 
of the severe weather conditions they would encounter in and around the North Pole. Nonetheless, they sailed off in two state-of-the-art ships. Each ship was equipped with an auxiliary steam engine and a huge storeroom that could hold a 12-day supply of coal should steam power ever be needed during the voyage. The men were confident in their quest. And as the ship sailed off amidst imperial pomp and glory, they seemed to be unprepared. They had not planned thoroughly enough for what laid ahead in the ice-filled waters of northern Alaska. In fact, the only clothing that they took were the uniforms and thin overcoats provided by Her Majesty's Navy. Two months after their departure, a British whaler made contact with the two ships off of the coast of Canada, and he was the last person to see them alive. Search parties would spend 12 years Search parties will spend 12 years retracing the path of the Franklin expedition. Eventually, some of the puzzle piece was pieced together. The expedition had evidently been stalled by, by the icy water. Eskimos reported seeing men pushing a wooden boat across the ice. The members of the search party saw a few remains at Simpson Strait, which is a waterway in Canada. Three wooden masts of one of the ships protruding up through the ice. Amid all the findings, the most devastating of all was the discovery that neither ship had stocked up their coal supply. In fact, they had both turned that huge storeroom into a lounge filled with a 1,200-volume uh, gallery, uh, a library, an organ, and even a cupboard space for elegant place, uh, place settings of china and, sil- and silver for all of the officers. One historian said that the Franklin expedition was prepared for weather conditions inside the Royal Navy's Officers Club, not the Arctic Ocean. One search party found 30 frozen bodies in a tent near the water's edge. The officers were dressed in their overcoats with their silk scarves still in place. These men were confident. Their hopes were high. But they were not prepared for the challenges of that expedition. In John 15, 18, uh, Jesus Christ told us that the world will hate you because of me. I wonder, and do you think, are we really prepared for that? Jesus also warned his disciples in John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think, it's, will think he is offering service to God. Are you ready for that? Jesus said, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather division. From now on in a house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Luke twelve fifty one through 53. Are you ready for that? Persecution will arise because of the presence of the word, Jesus explained in Matthew thirteen twenty one. Our Lord throughout his life was mocked by the, by the religious leaders. The chief priests mocked him. Herod mocked them, eventually even the soldiers mocked them. 
the early church was ridiculed at Pentecost and the city mocked the apostles by calling them, these men are drunk, Acts 2.13. Hebrews 11 records that many believers endured cruel mocking. Are we ready? Are we, are we ready for that? Believers will be persecuted because of the cross. Cross, Galatians 6.12. The godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer tribulation, 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11-13, through 13, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we, lo- and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slander, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. Are we ready for this kind of treatment and reputation? And so my message today is about getting ready for life by putting on the armor of God. You know, I think the Apostle Paul assumes that you and I are not ready. At least not until we have mentally put on six pieces of armor designed by God to help us stand the tests of life. And the first piece of armor mentioned is the belt of truth. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Back in Roman times, this was a long leather undershirt that hung to the thigh. It was critical in that everything connected to this apron-like shirt. The sword hung from it, the breastplate attached to it. Everything was in some way connected. Much more like our belief system is connected to the truth, in some way dependent upon the undergirding of the truth. And from inspired truth, revealed truth, infallible truth from God, apart from that, We do not have the ability to construct life capable of withstanding anything, much less believe in anything. Without it, we are certainly not ready to take on the world system, which is an enemy of the absolute truth of God. That's the belt of truth. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Paul goes on in Ephesians 6.14 to tell us, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. For most soldiers, this would be strips of leather, layered one on top of another, forming a covering over the heart. If they were wealthy enough, they would have a custom design, a perfectly molded plate of metal. And since we are the sons and daughters of the emperor himself, we have the promise of a perfectly fitting armor, Uniquely designed for our heart, our makeup, our design and skill. This is the covering of Christ's righteousness. This is the character of Christ which protects our hearts. This is the offering of Christ on our behalf that continually cleanses and protects our hearts. This is the righteousness of Christ which ultimately covers and protects our hearts from any fatal wound. The breastplate of righteousness. The third piece of armor is shoes. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 6.15 that we need a good pair of shoes. He writes, And as shoes for your feet, 
have been put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I think most of us overlook that shoes are a part of the armor. They are necessary for at least two things. First, shoes are necessary for balance, for providing solid footing. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 15:1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The gospel is like a good pair of shoes that gives balance when we stand, uh, as we stand on the truth. Secondly, shoes are necessary for progress. The Romans had embedded in their leather soles little pieces of metal. These were probably first century cleats. The wearer could charge a, a hill or keep their footing on uneven terrain. They could advance forward against an enemy attack during hand-to-hand combat. By the way, the soldier did not cleat if he was retreating. If he was running away from his enemy, he, w- he might want speed, but he did not necessarily need traction. And this is like a football player on the gridiron. Cleats help him move the ball downfield against opposing forces. If you have ever been to a football game, and I have been to a few, perhaps you have noticed the, people, the, the, the way people dress up to cheer on their team. I mean, I've seen fans wear a jersey they paid 150 bucks for. No judgment, I've been one of those. I have seen fans wear football helmets, paint their faces, be one of those too. However, no matter how passionate I have been for my team or someone else or, or someone else's for their team, I have never seen a fan wear cleats. Not once. Cleats are not needed in the stands or the sidelines. Only the players on the field wear them. That is where the action is. That is where the contest is being waged. Paul is assuming we're going to get into the game. For the believer in the thick of it, the gospel is what we need to advance against opposing forces. Shoes for our armor. The fourth piece of armor is the shield of faith. Paul next, draws to a, uh, Paul next draws our attention to one of the most fascinating pieces of armor the Romans used in battle. In Ephesians 6.16, Paul refers to the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This explicitly states that Satan is an aggressor. He fires flaming missiles, flaming arrows, or or, or fiery darts. Paul, in this verse, is referring to a common practice during his day. When an army came against a city in ancient days, they would tip their arrows in pitch, light them, and then shoot them over the city walls. As soon as these arrows hit the rooftops of buildings, the pitch will splatter and small fires will be started all over. The same will also be done against an advancing army. Arrows dipped in pitch and and lighted will be fired so that the clothing of the soldiers would catch on fire and panic would would erupt in the ranks. And so the soldiers' shields were covered with leather that had been soaked with water before battle in order to to extinguish the fires caused by the pitch. Paul is, is saying, have your shields ready. You never know when fire is going to break out all around you. One of my uh, favorite pastors told this story. 
And he said, a few years ago, I was on the phone with a friend. Charlie was supposed to call me the day before, but did not. So I called him. We talked a while then, and I said, now, about, about those plans we were discussing, are they going to work for you? I'll never forget him saying, well, I can't seem to find my calendar. Things are a bit turned upside down right now. You see, my nine-year-old, was, my nine-year-old son was hit by a car yesterday and killed. Could I just call you back in a few days? The pastor went, went on to say, I remember being so convicted because the night before I had been down at the drugstore. Our youngest daughter had been, coming, had been running a, a high fever through the night. My wife had her in the bathtub, sponging her with cold water. It was midnight, and I was getting some medicine. There I was at the, at the drugstore complaining to God, Lord, life is just great. Why can this kind of thing happen to me after breakfast on my day off? Can you time these trials a little more conveniently? I realized while on the phone with my friend that at the same time I was in the drugstore complaining, he and his wife were hanging on to their shields for dear life, end quote. Now, it is important to know the kind of shields the Romans had. And there were two kinds of shields in the Roman army. One shield was a small round shield worn on the arm of a soldier during hand-to-hand combat. There was another kind of shield called a, a tureos that was four feet tall, two feet wide. It was nicknamed the wall. This is the shield Paul is referring to in in this verse. Among other things, the soldier would often plant the shield in the ground and hide behind it as the enemy fired. In the same way in the believer's life, there are times where all we can do is plant the shield of faith and wait it out. All the while we are trusting with God in, in God's person and provision and providence and protection. As David wrote, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Psalm 3.3 This shield not only protected the soldier, but it united the soldiers. Literally unified the army. The Roman army had a novel development regarding the shield. And nothing was victorious because of it. The edges of the shields were beveled and notched. So, they could, so that they could be locked into place with the shields on, on both sides. As a result, they, they, they could actually have a row of men that made up a wall of metal advancing against an army. And what a picture is this of a unified church? A body of believers advancing into hostile territory. It is no wonder that the powers of darkness hate more than almost anything a unified church. Is it any surprise that the most dangerous times for any church are times of disunity and dissension? Is it any wonder that when conflict occurs among believers, the devil is more than happy to supply ammunition to both sides? He loves it. There is little doubt that the worst enemy of the church is frequently the church. The thing that often keeps the church from moving forward is the church. The thing that keeps the the, the church from winning the world is that the world has won the church. 
Similarly, the thing that often discourages younger believers from growing in Christ is other believers who refuse to grow up. What kind of impact could we have when? When unified, when with unified hearts towards advancing the glory of God and gospel of Christ, we are found with shields locked together. This is like the church in, in Jerusalem known for with one mind exhibiting, exhibiting gladness and sincerity of heart. Acts 2.46 This shield not only protected the soldier and, and, and united the army, but it, but it actually reflected the sun. This studio was made basically out of a large plank of wood overlaid with, with strips of leather. However, in the center of the shield, the soldiers would attach a round piece of brass. Before going into battle, they would polish that piece of brass until it shone with the brilliance of a mirror. As the Roman army walked into battle, they would literally reflect the sun into the eyes of their enemies and in doing so distract them. And the implication of what Paul is talking about is obvious. With our faith in Christ, we reflect the light of God's Son, who is the light of the world into the world around us, even as it were into the eyes of our enemies. The devil hates the person and glory of Christ, our great light. He hates the reflection of Christ's gospel. The radiant light of, and the radiant light of the gospel has the power to dispel the darkness. So, let your light shine before others, that they may ultimately give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. The shield of faith. The fifth piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. Ephesians six seventeen tells us, and take the helmet of salvation. Now this does not refer to being saved. Paul is not saying that after we put on the shoes and the belt or, or apron of truth and the breastplate, now go get saved. This cannot be what Paul is talking about because we will not even be in the, have this armor if we were not saved. In fact, we will not even be in the army as a soldier of Christ if we were not saved. A soldier's helmet protected his head, his mind, his thoughts. Salvation, so salvation is, salvation is the truth that we believe by faith. The helmet of faith is for protection. And so the greatest, most severe battles level against the believer are battles that take place in the mind. Paul is saying to guard our minds with the truth of God, especially when it relates to our salvation. Salvation has three tenses. Past salvation, present salvation, future salvation. Past salvation, this is justification by faith alone, the moment when we were born again by the Spirit of God. Present salvation, this is sanctification, the ongoing work of Christ with, which conforms us to His image. Future salvation, this is glorification. This is when we will be delivered forever into the fellowship of heaven and our Lord. Past salvation is the moment when we were de delivered from the penalty of sin. Present salvation is the daily battle over the power of sin, 
future salvation is the deliverance from the presence of sin. We need to get ready to fight regarding our salvation because the enemy will bring doubts about our past salvation. I've been saved like 20 times. <laughs> been baptized like 10. I know. He will accuse us regarding our, our failure in our sanctification right now that, you know, we're condemned. And he will distract our vision regarding our coming glorification. So we need to put on the thoughts that protect us regarding all that God has done for us, is doing for us, and has prepared for us. The helmet of salvation. The final piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.17, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the principal point of contact against the enemy. And let me, let me tell you something. The sword is not our charm, our cleverness, our skills, or, or our methods. The sword is the word of God. Now, the Roman sword was two feet long and sharpened on both sides. The writer of Hebrews refers to this when he says that the word of God is sharper than any, any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. When Jesus Christ went into the wilderness to be tempted, he did not bind the devil. Three times he was tempted, and all three times the first words that, that came out of his mouth were, It is written. Three different times Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. He encountered the enemy and used the living powerful sword of the Spirit, which, which is the Word of God. Uh, and if I can invite the, the worship team up, please. So as we attempt to construct a life capable of withstanding the high winds of the storms of life, let me share two thoughts with you. First, God has not given the Christian here on earth final victory over sin. But He has given the potential for repeated victory over sin. He has conquered death. But until our glorification, we will have struggles and battles in this dying world. So do not be caught off guard, especially those who are young in the faith. Do not expect one victory to signal the end of temptation. The battle is daily, but we have Christ who has conquered all. Every day we will face tests of integrity, honesty, perspective, trust, purity, our greatest battle over, over temptation is our next one. We have the God-granted potential for victory one battle at a time, and He expects us to dress out for war. This is the reason why when we were saved, we were not handed a robe and a crown, but a sword and a shield. Are we ready for this kind of life, or are you the type of Christian that are dressed in silk scarves and thin wool coats, heading into the fiercest 
blizzards of spiritual battle. And the second thought is that the battle in the believer's life does not diminish us with commitment to Christ, but becomes more dangerous and difficult. The person who says, Lord, I want to place my life under construction. Consider my life a building, for, a building site for your spirit to demolish, reconstruct, rebuild, change, and repair. This person, this believer, has done nothing less than challenge the enemies of Christ. All that opposes heaven will now oppose them. The Christian who dares to say, I want to construct a life that glorifies God, has just moved up to the front lines where he can see the enemy dipping his arrows in pitch and then aiming them directly at them. If this is your heart, get ready. And by the way, Paul, the veteran soldier, is cheering us on. Listen to his pep talk in Ephesians 6, 10, and 13. As you dress out, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, but in the Lord, and in the strength of His might. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done everything, having done all, to stand firm. Let's go for it. Well, let's be ready. And be prepared for the fight of your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Lord, thank you for giving us everything that that you have given us, Father. I pray that you open our hearts, that you open our eyes, and that you give us the conviction and passion to follow follow your word. And Lord, bless us with, thank you for blessing us with, with your armor. And I pray that as we go out throughout our lives, that we can memorize those pieces of armor so that we can stand behind them, be covered by them, and attack the enemy with them. In your name we pray. Amen.